This is the New Life Rancho Vista podcast. We are a church committed to loving God, growing together, and serving others. Our prayer and desire is that this message from our campus pastor, Peter Moore, will be a help and an encouragement to you, regardless of where you are in your relationship with Jesus. So let's open our hearts and minds as we turn our attention to the incredible truths God has for us today. And we are in a series, like I said, called Make It or Break It, and today we're going to talk about vision over apathy. And I, as each of these weeks, we're going to kind of deal with something that might be a pain point, might be something that you're maybe not used to a pastor touching on. And if there's a part in this message where the Holy Spirit through the Bible starts to kind of touch on something that's a little bit like, ooh, I don't know about that. Maybe ask yourself, man, why am I having this reaction? Why why does this seem a little bit like it's a, a something that I'm not used to hearing? And I think it'll be a help and an encouragement to you, but I think it's, uh, as I've walked through it, uh, it has been uh, a help and an encouragement. And we're going to study just like last week. We're going to study two verses in the book of Proverbs. We're going through Proverbs and uh, we're, we're making sure that we have, I think we need a few uh, handouts up here as well if you have, if you have them. Um, but in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 23, it's in your notes or you can go uh, in your Bible. I'm going to read uh, from my Bible. Verse 23, it says, the desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat and tendeth to poverty. What does that mean? Well, let's find out right after we pray. God, uh, as everyone's coming in and getting settled and opening up the Bible and opening up the notes, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, use these verses to um, do a work in us. I pray that we would circle some of the action items. I pray that we would write down something, a response to this that's maybe even different than, than what we had anticipated. Um, I pray that you would surprise us by your grace and give us a vision for the future in our relationships and in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first week we talked about uh, pride, and I always joke on the fact that I, I'm I'm waiting for God to 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 assign me some some simpler, uh, more kind topics. You know, uh, getting up and telling everyone they're prideful is is not the easiest thing to do. Uh, but then it got a little bit easier because we talked a little bit about fear uh, last week, and we talked a little bit about uh, the the fact that we can either trust or we can fear, but we can't do both at the same time in our relationships and. And this week, I'm going to talk about something that I think is really um, a, a, a deadly part of our relationships, but I want to call this the silent killer. This is the silent killer in any relationship. In our relationship with God, in our relationship with our spouses and our friends, our coworkers, apathy is the silent killer. Now, apathy is one of those things that you can't really diagnose it yourself. It's something that the Holy Spirit can bring, and you can kind of start to see it as we read through some of the Bible words. But um, apathy is an attitude of indifference, and it's a lack of motivation or a desire to just sit back and, and just kind of be idle, not, not commit. Uh, this is uh, something that's 
a part of our culture is a lack of commitment, a, uh, a, a, a word that's used more than any other word between 14 to 16-year-olds, a study once said, is the word whatever. I would take a little bit of, of, of that and change it. I would say it's two words when you're using it with teenagers. What? ever, right? Uh, they kind of break that up. If you have teenagers, you know uh, what I mean. Uh, I was uh, <clears throat> reading about a teacher who was teaching an ethics class, and, and he was asking students to, to respond, and no one was responding. No one wanted to, you know, answer any of his questions. So he made the student that was kind of disrupting, he made him stand up, and he said, uh, we're studying about apathy and, uh, and ignorance, and he's like, I want you to tell me the difference between apathy and ignorance. And the kid stood up and then sat back down and said, I don't care, and I don't know, and I don't care. And the, and the, and the professor looked at his notes, and he's like, that is actually correct. Uh, indifference and, and ignorance is not knowing, uh, but apathy is not caring. And there's a difference between not knowing what to do in our relationships, and there's another difference between not caring. I would tell you something after thousands of, of hours of counseling and working with relationships, can I tell you that it's really hard to make yourself care when you don't. And preachers, and I'm, I'm just going to pick on me because it's, it's easiest to pick on me. And I think you guys like it when I pick on me more than when I pick on you. So we'll just do that for a while. But it's really, thank you. It's really easy for me to stand up here and say, hey, if you're sad, just be happy. In, in preaching, and actually, it, it's called the Captain Obvious Syndrome, is when a preacher stands up and says, hey, are you anxious? Just, hey, stop, stop caring about it so much. You know, are you, are you fearful? Don't be afraid. You know, are you, are you, you know, uh, you know, disappointed? Well, just cheer up. You know, it, that, that's not super helpful because what it's saying is, it's pointing out the obvious without walking through where you are, and where you need to go. And I think it's important for us to identify that there's a part of our heart in our relationship with God and our relationship with others that's a little bit apathetic. There's some areas of our, of our lives where we just kind of like that student, I don't know and I don't care. So what do we do when our heart is apathetic? What do we do when our lives are, are met with apathy or, or in relationships we're met with Apathy. Well, I want you to see a key thought as we dive into the scripture today, and it is that every moment of apathy is a boast against God's plan. That's really what it is. It's a boast against God's plan, and it is a sin truly against our own soul and our conscience. Now, where do we get this? I'm going to break down this from from from. Proverbs and, and several verses in Proverbs, but first I want to go to James. We're in James, the book of James, meditating in our Bible meditation groups, but we haven't gotten to this passage yet, but we will. It's James 4, and, it's, and it asks the question, what is your life? Can I ask that today? What is your life? Is your life 70 years of, of just ups and downs? Is your life um, you know, are you just a, a, a clump of, you know, uh, evolved cells that will just sit in a grave? What is your life? And James says, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is a vapor. It's just a puff of smoke. It appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. So he says, really what we ought to say when we're planning on doing something, and 
When we want to do something, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Verse 16, but now you rejoice in your boastings. He's saying, you're rejoicing in things that are about to happen and you'd have no guarantee whether or not they're gonna happen. He's like, you're rejoicing in the future that's not guaranteed. Wow, man, that's, that's me. I am an optimist. And my wife, Danielle, she always teases me, you know, that I'm always seeing things, you know, like, like, like I'll, I'll tell her, you know, she'll say, how long do you think that's going to take? I'll be doing a project to the house, you know, and, and I'll say, wow, it'll take about an hour. Three days later, okay, uh, you know, my, 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 her realism is starting to kind of, you know, be prophetic. And my optimism is like, man, that was a lot harder than I thought, right? Our expectations a little bit differently. Well, look at the last part of this verse in James. It says, all such rejoicing in the future without saying, hey, it's up to God. God knows, God's the only one that knows about the future is evil. So all such rejoicing is evil. Verse 17, him that knows to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. So it's, it's really saying that if you're apathetic to the point where you're not doing what you know you should do when in the time that God has given you, and by the way, the only time God's given you is right now, okay? So the present is is the, the gift from God, that's why it's called a present. And when we're apathetic about the time that God's given us right now, today, then what we're really saying is we're boasting against God to say, I deserve tomorrow. When in reality, no, none of us know what tomorrow holds. So apathy is not just a lack of passion. Really what apathy is, it's a lack of vision. It's a lack of vision for what God has and the time that he's given you. It's, it's a lack of vision to know that God gives us a set amount of time and it is on purpose that he doesn't tell us how much time we actually have. Now, I don't say any of that to scare you. What I do, the reason I do say that is to put what we're gonna talk about in context. And the context is this, that God has a vision for your life and your relationships that's far greater than any psychology or any, any, any relationship coach or any person uh, you know, that could possibly speak into your life. They could not even come close to God's vision for your life and your relationships. Now, why do I say that? Because there's a process to overcome apathy, but it has to start with vision. And what I want to do is I want to, I want to start with vision, but I want to take one step before it because it would be, it would be the captain obvious of me to, to start with, hey, have vision and therefore overcome apathy. So what I want to do is I want to take one step back and say, how do we have vision? Okay, we know vision is the key to, to overcoming apathy. The Bible will tell us that. It tells us that. But let's take a step back. And number one, I want you to see that values are values. They shape our vision. It is our values. Every time I sit down and I talk to someone about their relationship, either with God uh, or with their spouse or with others, uh, uh, meet with teenagers and their parents, or uh, I meet with two friends who are trying to start a relationship or, 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 or trying to work out something in their relationship. And it always comes down to this, that there are differing values. Our values are not something that we can make up on our own our values have to be something that only God can give. Now, here's the crazy thing about values. Values come from the word of God. Now, how do we know that? In verse number 13 or, or 23, it says, the desire of the righteous 
is only good. The desire of the righteous is only good. But the expectation of the wicked is wrath. So there's this comparison. That's what Proverbs does, does a comparison. And and, and it basically says that when we have the right desire, the right vision, when when, when we're moving in the right direction, it's always going to be good because the, the goodness, the righteousness that we have, it's not ours. We've talked about that before here at New Life. It's a gift from God. And so God gives us the right perspective, the right desire, and it's always only good. But the expectation of the wicked, meaning when you have your expectation, your vision, it's gonna bring frustration. In fact, the word wrath means to be frustrated to the point of anger. And so the expectation of the wicked it's, it's wrath. It, it causes frustration. Now, the Bible talks about someone who is apathetic to the point where they can't, they can't, they don't have a vision for their life. They don't have a, they don't have a forward progress. And, and the word that it uses, the Bible uses, is slothful. In Proverbs 21, 25, it says, the desire of the slothful killeth him. And, and just imagine this, you know, someone saying, you know, uh, hey, what's, what's your vision for your life? And, and you paint this big picture of, hey, I, I wanna, I, I hope my family will grow. I hope there's uh, lots of things that, um, that I can do to, uh, you know, uh, travel maybe. Uh, uh, I, I wanna do this with my career. Or, you know, you could paint a, a practical vision for your life. But ultimately, the, the actions that you take today will support or will kill that vision. And the desire of the slothful, because he has a desire to step back, to not move forward, that desire ultimately will kill his vision or will kill him, will kill his life, his sustenance, because he refuses to labor. He refused, refuses to move forward. It's the Hebrew word uh, at cell. It means to be sluggish, to be lazy, uh, to be indifferent, to be lacking motivation or idleness. Now, I have a third grader and a sixth grader, and they're in the room today. And uh, one of the things we like to do is discover new jokes, okay? I'm terrible with jokes, but every once in a while, a joke will hit me that's really funny. And I guarantee you, about half this room is not gonna think that this joke is funny. But I will tell you, whenever I come to this, this topic of laziness, I always think of what is the one exercise that all lazy people do? Diddly squats. Okay, so that's my favorite joke. Um, and again, half the, half the, half the uh, room did not think it was funny. I'm a prophet. Uh, but I had to put it in there because they're in the room and, uh, and, and that's, that's one of our faves, okay? But here's, here's what the Bible says about uh, a slothful person. A slothful person says there's a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. It literally could be translated, a lion is somewhere in my way and I do not want to be hurt by it, so therefore I will step back. A lion is there, so I'm not going to do anything. Psalm says this uh, about, about the, the, the man who's, who's stepping back and not, not fulfilling a God vision for his life, that they delight in lies. You say, wow, man, that's really harsh. Well, it, it gets even worse. They bless with their mouth and they curse in their heart. <laughs> Have you ever met someone who is really friendly on the outside, but really on the inside, they were cursing you? <laughs> Have you ever met someone who was like real, one thing in one situation, and then you, you met them in another situation, you're like, who is that person? That's a totally different person. Well, listen, 
It's because their values do not match. Their values are not truly internalized. So the degree of importance is what we're talking about with values. Something that is worth or useful. Something that is significant. When our relationships are founded and grounded in values, our expectations start to become uh, together and, and, and grow together. And so let me illustrate it this way. I don't know if, oh, I have it right here. Jeremiah, I want you to come up here. <clears throat> and if, if I were to play a little tug of war with Jeremiah and, and, and I want to go this way and he's wanting to go this way and, and, and the harder we pull, what do we risk? This pulling apart, right? Now, what happens when this pulls apart? Well, hopefully it snaps him and not me, right? But regardless, we might both get hurt. This is what happens in relationships with expectations that are not on the same value system. You expect one thing. I expect we're going this way. You expect we're going this way. Our expectations aren't communicated. And so there's tension. There's tension in the relationship. Now, God never addresses this tension specifically in scripture, but here's what he does say. He does talk about the expectations. And I want you to notice that the, here's a key thought, that expectations are the seeds of motivation. The more you water them, the bigger they grow. So all an expectation is, is a vision that I have for, for progress in a certain direction. And if I water that expectation, I'm gonna grow in this direction. And if he's watering his expectation in that direction, we're just gonna grow in greater tension. But what's, what the Bible talks about with expectation is it says in our verse, in, in verse number 23, the desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked, it's frustration, it's wrath. And so let's turn that around. The comparison is true, that the expectation of the righteous is good. Meaning when my expectation and his expectation is toward the goodness of God, when we're both seeking here, we're both getting closer to here, it naturally relieves the tension. You can't relieve the tension on your own. Now here's, thank you so much. Here's, here's the picture of this word expectation. The word expectation here, it literally means a cord. A cord, but it's not talking about a cord attached to someone else. It's talking about a cord that's attached to something in the future. It literally means a longing, a hope, an anticipation, a future outcome. Meaning when you have a vision for your future, it's literally something out further than the present that is pulling you in the present forward. Do you get that? So this is the cord. This is a literally, in fact, the word desire is very similar. It, it's, it's tava, right? It's, it's not tikva, it's tava. And it literally means to be tethered or to be pulled. That's what the word desire means. So desire and expectation are literally from the same root word in the sense that when you have a desire for something, you have an expectation. Now, I want to help some marriages. I want to help some relationships. And I desperately want to help you in your relationship with God. And so let me encourage you with something right now. Here's an action item. And, and, and if you're married, I would really encourage you to, to, I learned this the hard way, so please circle this or at least star it, right? Have a weekly time to communicate expectations with yourself and others. I didn't realize 
that I had so many expectations that were totally different before I got married, and then I had never communicated them after they got married. And the only times I did communicate my expectations were when Danielle, my wife, decided she had a different one. And so in our relationship with God, it's the same way. That if you're waking up on a certain day and you're asking God to do something and you have the expectation that he's going to, that he's gonna help you with your panic attacks, that he's gonna help you in your marriage and with your kids, and you feel like that expectation is not being met, listen, the worst thing you could do is not, not talk that out with him. And so talk him out with yourself, know what your expectations are, but then work that out with those around you. Why? Because hope deferred make it the heart sick. But the desire that cometh, that, 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 that happens, is a tree of life. It, it gives life. The desire accomplishes sweet to the soul. Proverbs 13 also says, but it is an abomination of fools to depart from evil. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. What does that mean? It means that if you're walking with people of your same values, they will help your vision. But if you're walking with people that value completely different things than you're valuing, they will rob and take away from your God-given vision. So vision, shape, your values shape your vision. Number two, I want you to see that vision drives discipline. Now, discipline is a lost art in many areas of society today, but I want you to see the discipline that is, that is talked about in verse 24. The first part of verse 24 says, there is that scattereth, yet increaseth. Now, why does that talk about discipline? It talks about discipline because the, the scattering, as we'll see, is, is a sowing. It's a agrarian term for the farmers would use to sow the seed. And sowing seed is a lot of work. I used to have to hand plant our entire garden growing up. It's a lot of work. And so it takes discipline. And, and, and there's two different thoughts uh, on, on discipline. There's the fact that it's just hard and uncomfortable and not something that, that should you know, be a part of your life and it's kind of a drag, so why do we need that? And then there's another part that the Bible talks about and it says that when there's something that's valuable enough and there's a vision of why it needs to happen and that you're, you're, you're persuaded enough about that vision, you will naturally bring your body into subjection is the way that 1 Corinthians 9 25 says, you'll bring your body into subjection and you'll passionately pursue that vision because you are moved on the inside in order to bring yourself into compliance on the outside. The slothful man does not do that. In fact, it says in Proverbs 15, 19, you'll see it in your notes there, the slothful man is a hedge of thorns. Whoa, what? But the way of the righteous is made plain. What do, you, what do you mean? It's made plain. There's a hedge of thorns and made plain. Well, literally, the, the slothful man, the apathetic man, there's a reason to not go down the pathway that God has given them. There's a hundred different reasons. It's a hedge of thorns. Literally, he's allowed all of the excuses and he's allowed all of the discomforts to be a reason not to move forward. You don't walk through a hedge of thorns. But the way of the righteous is clear. He knows exactly where to get there. It doesn't mean it's easy. It just means he knows the next step. It, he, he has a vision that's open. And that's why Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, 
the people perish. Let's say that together. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now the word perish literally means to cast off a burden because it has gotten too hard. To cast off restraint. You perish, right? When I was in high school playing football, uh, my coach would never tell us how many sets were left. He would just make us, make us go until we, until we collapsed and there would be someone there to pick up the bar and put it up back onto the rack. Well, well, well why would he do that? I, I hated it. I said, hey, why can't you just give us a number? Even if it's too much, just give us a number that we can push toward. And he said, because if I gave you a number, you would think that that was your limit. I don't wanna give you any limits. I wanna, I wanna let you push. And, and, and so in, in life, oftentimes we cast off a burden because we don't know how long. We don't have a vision for how long that burden must be carried. But there's happiness, there's joy when we keep the values, the law, the statutes, the boundaries that God has given us. The rest of that verse says, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. And so the word vision in this verse, where there's no vision, the people perish, it's the word kazan. It means to have foresight, but it has an image or a visualization of the future, a spiritual ability to discern or perceive something in the future. It's a vivid description, as, as I've defined it, or a picture of the preferred future. And so here's a key thought. When God asks you to have a vision for your marriage, for your kids, for your life, He's asking you to have a vision, not just what you can see and what you can feel, but he's asking you to have a vision based on what he says. And all the time I hear people that says, well, that's just not the way I've always done it. Or, you know, people will say, well, you know, the, my, my, my parents used to do it this way and uh, so I, I did it. Or my last church, they, they used to, and, and I, all of those things are, 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 are part of what shapes us, but all of those things are what you've seen and how you feel about what you've seen. But the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God can give you a vision, a perspective of what is not seen, and it will allow us to go beyond it. I love the story of Albert Hubbard because his entire life he was told that he couldn't, couldn't sell soap. He started selling soap. He, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't. He couldn't um, sell arts and crafts. He started selling arts and crafts. And, and then he wanted to get into the furniture business. And so he started selling furniture, but he didn't have workers to make it. He was a good salesman, but he was, wasn't good at, at actually making the unique furniture that he wanted to sell. And so he found people who were homeless, people who didn't have food, clothing, shelter. And he would take some of the proceeds from the uh, soap and arts and crafts and furniture that he was selling. And he would create these, these barracks, these, these basically large uh, areas where they could eat and sleep and work. And he said, listen, I will pay for your food and for your clothing and for your lodging if you'll help me make my furniture. And one of the people who were, they were critiquing his methods to say, man, these people are working for you for free. How are you doing this? And he said, no, they want to. And, and they said, well, what caused you to ask these people to do that? I mean, what, 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 what did you, where did, where did this all start? And he said, well, he said, it started the first time someone told me I couldn't do it. He said, and then there was a common reoccurrence. People kept on saying, 
I'd share the vision of what I wanted to do. And they kept on saying, I don't see it. (laughs) And he said, the more they couldn't see it, the more I could. And the more my vision of where I was going and what I was going to do just fueled me to do an even greater job of what I was doing. Now, if a soap salesman could understand vision for his life, certainly we can as well. And Albert Hubbard, one of my favorite quotes that he said, and he was by no, by no means a, a perfect man, but one of the things he wrote a lot about was self-discipline. And he said, discipline is the ability to do what you should do, when you should do it, whether or not you feel like it. And I want you to know in the Mord house, discipline is doing what we need to do before we want to do. And there is a lot of situations where uh, we're, we're like, hey man, this is what we want to do, but that is not what we need to do. And in God's house, it needs to be that way as well. Vision turns in any relationship or, or, or in any situation, it turns, I'm not really into this anymore, into, I wonder if I could be better or it could be better than it has been before. It gives purpose to the pain of discipline. Discipline is painful. Discipline is difficult. Dif- discipline is uncomfortable, but vision gives purpose to the discomfort. It gives purpose to the pain. And so here's an action item. I would encourage you to daily pray that God will grow your vision. Instead of praying, God, help me to work harder, or God, help me not to waste time, or God, help me uh, to get through this. Just start praying, God, give me a vision for the future. Help me to see beyond this. You see, the seeing eye and the hearing ear, the Lord has made them both. He gives you open eyes to satisfy your need for bread, but you are the one that has to accept that. You see, the slothful man, he loves sleep. Uh, He comes to poverty. He allows sleep to be the thing that he values more than going down his God-given path. And so values, they shape vision. Vision drives discipline. And then finally, I want you to see that discipline defeats apathy. It defeats apathy. Now, the last part of this verse is the key to the first two verses. It says in in our, our text, Proverbs 11, 24, there is that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than his meat and tendeth to poverty. So there are some people who feel like if they just give and sow and, and, and cast that seed, that there's going to be a harvest. In fact, the word scattereth, it, it's the word, I love the, the way this word sounds. It's the Hebrew word pazar, right? It just has, just rolls off the tongue, pazar, right? Uh, the, the distributing freely, the sprinkling the seed on the ground, the throwing out in hopes of a harvest. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I, I would be okay with spending about $100 in seed to, uh, to plant a garden here in the Antelope Valley. I think it's, uh, that would be totally normal. Uh, but what we're not used to is many farmers, I grew up uh, in the Midwest, and I knew many farmers who would borrow close to $100,000 just to get the tractors and the seed and just to prep the soil to be able to plant the seed in hopes for a harvest. And every time they went in debt like that, they had no guarantee that they were going to get any of that money back. They were planting, they were scattering, and they were hoping to increase, but they didn't know. But there are some in life that decide to hold back. 
to hold back time, to hold back their talent, to hold back. And those that hold back, the Bible says, they often are lacking. They are met with scarcity. In fact, the the word is poverty. It tended to poverty. Doesn't mean it's always going to be poverty, but it tended to poverty. When we withhold, the word withhold is, is kazak. It means to refuse to sow, to hold back what is good. And I love this. It means to suppress potential. Now, the reason why I get up here and, and, and you know, you guys make fun of me because I, 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 I can't stand up here without being passionate about you guys getting it because one of the things that I saw growing up was apathy. I really felt like in church growing up that the people there just really didn't care. And I honestly felt like the principles I were learning, they were A, not doable. I tried, I couldn't. And then they really weren't understandable. (laughs) Some of the things that I was taught growing up, I just didn't understand it. So something that's not understandable and not doable, you don't have a desire to do it and you don't have a desire to learn it. I was like that student, I don't know, and I don't care. And like many of my generation, I had that desire as a teenager just to, I'm out. What good is it for me to sit in church when half of it I don't understand, and the other half I can't do? So here's the reality of why I'm so passionate about everything, every single week, I'm passionate about this. Why? Not just because I know it works, but because I know that the Holy Spirit uses this. I know that God gave us his word as a key. And here's the crazy thing. It's a key that unlocks every door. So I don't know what door you're standing at and you're knocking and you're saying, God, I need this door to open. I don't know, it might be the door of depression or, or, or the door of anxiety. We've talked a lot about those things the last few weeks. It might be the door of a relationship where you're like, man, this, this just feels like an impossible situation. I don't know where it's at, but, but the key to unlocking every door is the Holy Spirit using his word. And one of the things that we see in scripture is that it constantly tells us over and over again uh, the way the kingdom of God operates and the way the kingdom of God operates is that we we when we hold back and we try to save our own life and we try to do our own thing it actually starts to fall apart it's like a sweater when you see a little a little thread coming out of the sweater I don't know if you've ever had this and you try to pull it off and it gets worse you try to pull it more well the worst thing you could do is just keep pulling on the thread you won't have a sweater in five minutes why Because that thread, the more you pull on it, the worse it makes. Can I tell you that that's a metaphor for how I see society happening right now? The harder we pull, the harder we try to make things work, the the more we try to make things happen in our life, the worse it gets. And there's a reality of what it says about apathy here that says it's not us saying, okay, I just, I'm gonna work harder. No, that's not the key. The key is found in Proverbs 16.3. And if you can memorize this verse, this is, this is where we'll end today. It says, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Can we read that together? Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Now, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, he he. 
used that same principle when he was talking about what we're going to do. And he was talking about the fact that one day we're going to be dead and gone, and what's done on earth is all that will be able to be done. It's, it's over. So he said, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. There is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave. Doesn't exist in the grave. It only exists right now. And so let me just encourage you with this. That in this moment, we are all faced with the same choice. And the choice is this. Will I commit my way, my, my actions, my works, as, as Proverbs says, to the Lord? And will that then establish my thoughts and establish the way I desire and my motivation and everything that I'm doing? Is that going to establish it? Or am I going to commit myself to my own way? Am I going to say, you know what? I, I really, I'm, I'm not, it's not that bad. <laughs> I've said that before. Ah, I got this. And so the, really that's the, that's the crux. Are we going to have a God given vision for our life? Or are we going to have a self vision for our life? And when we come down to that as the, as the reality, we have to bring bring this to a close in the form of a takeaway. And I want, you to, I want you to write this down at the bottom of your notes. If our vision is driven by our values, it won't work. But if our vision is driven, and there should be a blank there that you can fill in by God's values. So that's supposed to say God's values. If our vision is driven by God's values, then our discipline can defeat our apathy. And so the question that's begged to be asked as we close, and, and as I pray and we'll finish the service, but I, I have to ask you, and I would encourage you to ask yourself this, who is driving your vision? Are, are, are your values or is God's values? Listen, have you committed your life to Christ? Or are you holding on to your life? Are you, are you withholding? <laughs> That's the question of the day, is who is driving our vision? And whoever is driving our vision, whoever's values are making up the decisions, are driving the decisions we're making, that determines the discipline that we will have to defeat the apathy in our life. The apathy in our relationships is a silent killer. I don't know and I don't care. But the vision that God gives us will develop a motivation in ourselves where we will want to do what God wants us to do. Our desires will align with His desires and it will change our life forever. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, check us out online at findnewlife.church or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Find New Life. Have an amazing day.